Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's History of Professor X, a.k.a. Charles Xavier. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and this is part of a Kraken Krakoa series, something that was inspired by the launch of House of X and Powers of Ten, the new ongoing event written by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, sort of re refreshing the X-Men for the Marvel Universe. And there are two reasons I'm starting here with Professor X. One is there was a request on the Comic Book Herald Patreon for a complete Professor X reading order. That's what I do over on comicbookherald.com. I put together a whole lot of reading orders in addition to comic book analysis and commentary, and Professor X was requested. And one of the benefits of being a supporter of Comic Book Herald is that if you put in requests for reading orders, I will prioritize them. If you're interested in finding out more about that, check out the show notes for the link to patreon.com slash comicbookherald. But of course, the other big reason that I want to focus on Professor X is he is the center of House of X and Powers of Ten. Professor X is this sort of mysterious presence, and everything here, as could be anticipated by the name, is sort of the the formulation of his dream for mutant kind and sort of an updated rendition of that dream. Now, as you'd expect, House of X, also the first thing it calls to mind is Marvel's 2005 event, House of M, which was an alternate reality that was essentially Magneto's vision for mutants. Basically, he was given his greatest wish in an alternate reality. Now, House of X, the Charles Xavier version, as far as we know, not an alternate reality, not a, a Elseworld style DC story, and I, for one, hope that it doesn't turn out that it actually is. But as far as we know, this is actual Marvel Universe X-Men continuity being uh, sort of rewritten as we go, um, or, or rewritten again, I think is probably the wrong term for it. It's being updated. It's being changed, and we're going to see how it goes. So at the time of recording, House of X number one and Powers of X number one are released. I'm not going to go too in detail into these events other than to go into the history of Professor X. So you can learn a little bit more about this character, know where he's come from in the history of comics, and I think we'll talk about his entire legacy in different eras, right? So Professor X is a character that was introduced in Uncanny X-Men number one way back in the early 1960s by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. And we're going to go all the way up to comics that dealt with the character in Astonishing X-Men, which was the series he was most recently in, prior to House of X and Powers of Ten. Now, if you want to read every single comic and want to get all of the details, what I recommend you do is check out the link in the show notes to comicbookherald.com where I have the Professor X reading order in full. What I'm going to do here is talk about the eras as as segments, right? So I've broken it out into, you know, for example, his origins and debut, and then big changes in the life of Professor X, big story moments, big events that happen, big, big um, changes in his history in relation with the X-Men as his status. I'm going to focus on those as opposed to every single bit of minutia, because of course that would be a, a much too long uh, piece of audio to try to listen to. But instead, we're going to start with the debut of Professor X at the dawn of the X-Men in 1963. Again, creation of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Charles Xavier is a Frankly, out of the gates, a somewhat mysterious leader with a penchant for sending teenagers into trouble. Um, we learned pretty early on that he is a mutant with, with telepathic powers. He can read minds. He can project thoughts and his own you know, mental commands into the minds of others so that the X-Men can communicate all by telepathy. And he formulates the original five X-Men at his school the mansion that he owns and lives in and teaches at, the original five being Cyclops, 
Angel, Warren Worthington. Jean Grey is the first member introduced to the team. She shows up, actually, in that first issue of Uncanny X-Men number one as the newest recruit. You also have teenage uh, Hank McCoy and the youngest member of the X-Men, young Robert Drake, a.k.a. Iceman. So you have Charles Xavier here in the very early going. He's clearly on the, the side of argument, saying for, uh, arguing for peaceful existence between mutants and humans. Um, he's even from this point, I would say, somewhat complicated. He's not just the sort of gracious, gentle Professor X that uh, I'm going to talk about, you know, probably a bit here, but that Patrick Stewart and, and to some degree the 90s Professor X, I think, popularized. Uh, there's this version, I think, multimedia-wise of Professor X that is much more wholesome and and almost kind of a perfect leader and mentor than what the character has actually been throughout comic book history, which is to say a very complicated and, and nuanced and oftentimes ethically compromised individual. I think almost always he's on a, a he's he's very steady in his arguments for peaceful coexistence. And I think that puts him at odds with, of course, his greatest adversary slash friend, uh, Magneto, who is arguing for, you know, at times, the takeover of the entire human race. So it's not like he often flips that switch, although we'll talk about evil Xavier here a little bit as well. Um, but he does things like uh, express very flirtatious thoughts about very young 16-year-old Jean Grey when she shows up. He fakes his death, <laughs> like, a lot a shocking amount in the early Silver Age X-Men, uh, sort of leaving them to believe he is dead and then turning up later. So, and, and, you know, he's also like stretching the definition of school and sending young people into danger, which is something that is dealt with throughout his history, uh, especially in more modern times, in a lot of detail. So a lot of that is just, hey, comics have continued to evolve and update over time and characters sometimes deal with these things that seemed maybe they made sense in a in an era like the 60s silver age that make less sense now um but professor x is pretty consistent in his in his complications and his nuances so we're going to talk about some of those as well i would say big picture this dawn of the x-men phase the silver age x-men are a mixed bag across the board there are some really really good moments here that i do think are worth reading i would point you to if you're going to read nothing else Check out Uncanny X-Men issues number 12 and 13. These detail the origins of Professor X, tells you about him discovering his mutant powers, about being a child, and it also uh, reveals the origins of his connections to Juggernaut, Kane Marco, as that character is both smashing through the X-Mansion and coming in, you know, being being brought to us as a new character in the world of X-Men, and also we, we learn about Kane Marco in flashback stories here as well. So those are two of my favorite issues of the 60s. Uh, they, I don't have a lot of like classic X-Men from this era that I would say are some of my favorite Stan and Jack comics, but Uncanny X-Men number 12 and number 13 do fit into that mold. I would say, actually, if you continue there to about issue 16, you'll get some interesting uh, Professor X versus the Sentinels conversations where he goes on live TV to make arguments for, um, you know, for peaceful coexistence between mutants and humans, which again are themes that are going to play into this character for a good long while. Now, there are effectively three 
pretty sensible ways to enjoy this era. The first, of course, is just get that Marvel Unlimited subscription and read everything you can in Uncanny X-Men. That is the most difficult and, I would argue, the least rewarding. You could also check out, again in the CBH guide, the focused issues that I just mentioned, Uncanny X-Men 12 to 16, for kind of a fast-track greatest hits. And a newer option that actually is quite nice is Ed Pisker, the cartoonist, his work on X-Men Grand Design. The first two issues of X-Men Grand Design uh, recap and sort of recontextualize 60s Silver Age Uncanny X-Men, basically everything before we get to the next era that I'll be talking about. And it's the it's the best part of Grand Design, I think, by far. It also is, I think, probably the most readable way to get just about everything that happens in the Silver Age. So if you're interested, I would actually recommend checking out Grand Design as an option for this period of Professor X's life. But in the meantime, we're going to jump to the second era of Xavier. That is going to be Professor X during the Chris Claremont-written X-Men with a whole host of amazing artistic talent. Uh, The Claremont X-Men era runs from 1975 to 1991. He wrote the title for an insanely long time and did some amazing things, again, like I said, with amazing artists like Dave Cockrum, John Byrne, Paul Smith, Wilsh Portacio, Jim Lee. There's more. There's a lot more. And it's all obviously one of the the most iconic periods in X-Men history that I would recommend you binge as well. Hint, hint. There's a Claremont X-Men reading order on comicbookherald.com. But for our sake, Professor X, I mean, it's he's he's not necessarily a like the most memorable character from the Claremont era because he does bounce around and wind up spending a, a lot of time in space, <laughs> which is kind of a, a thing for him. Um, he starts out, though, as in 1975, one of his biggest stories is the all-new, all-different X-Men, you know, he's putting together a new team. So in Giant Size X-Men number one, Professor X is all the original X-Men, essentially, and, you know, some some spinoffs or, or offshoots that have been connected with the team, like Havoc and Polaris. They're all captured on this island called Krakoa. And Professor X assembles a new team of mutants to go and try to rescue the original X-Men. And that's kind of where things start for the new era of X-Men. That issue is actually written by Len Wein with art by Dave Cockrum. And then we get into uh, Chris Claremont starting writing with Uncanny X-Men number 94. So Professor X here, he is sort of, he he tries to adjust to the times, right? He's got a new team of X-Men he puts together. And then once they're there, he's kind of trying to apply some of the styles and techniques that he had for those young teenage X-Men. Except now the students are full-fledged adults, like Storm, who was worshipped as a goddess in Africa, or famously Wolverine, who was worshipped as a tiny, hairy, very old man anywhere he goes. So the techniques don't really work to the point that Professor X, you know, there's the developments for him, or some of the bigger ones that happen here, are during the Phoenix Saga, which I will not go into in any dramatic detail, he meets Lalandra, this alien uh, empress in space of the Shi'ar galaxy and they fall in love and he goes and spends a lot of time with Alandra out in space throughout the like really the entirety of the 80s uh, there's a pretty good chance he'll be with Lalandra at any given moment he also when he does come back to earth you know sort of recognizing that the x-men have morphed into something new and that cyclops is a, a really good leader of the team and that storm becomes a really good leader of the team and a lot of times at odds with professor x he forms a new team and the new mutants and it kind of gets him back to his roots of of being the professor and being this actual teacher of young mutants in the world which i think 
pretty consistently is the role that fits his skill set better than anything else. Uh, you also get, during this time, we discover Professor X when he has the use of his legs, which, if you're familiar with just Professor X in a wheelchair, he gets the use of his legs like once every, I don't know, three years or something like that, maybe even more consistently. But when he does, he has a sick lefty jump shot, okay? So stay tight on Professor X near the free throw line. Uh, I'm going to say even back to the three ball, he can fire him uh, with accuracy. And we also learn that uh, he has a son named David Halder. And he learns that himself, it seems, or maybe not. Um, but that's Legion in the classic New Mutant story arc from issues 26 to 28 by Chris Claremont and amazing artist Bill Sienkiewicz. So there's some really good Professor X stuff in the pages of New Mutants. We get the development of his relationship with Myra McTaggart. Um, again, for X-Men purposes, reading the Claremont era of X-Men and New Mutants as a whole is just, it's a must for really any fan, I think, of, of the team. But for Professor X in particular, you know, there's so much stuff that happens here. There's not as easy of a fast track as, say, um, as, say the Silver Age, right? And all of that, of course, is going to build now to the, the refresh of the team that happens in the early 90s. You could make a strong case for starting with the Chris Claremont and Jim Lee X-Men number one through number three in the early 90s. Again, this is, it really sets the stage. And again, Claremont's only on this for three issues before Lee and company take over. And it's sort of a new 90s era of X-Men at their most, you know, all-time best-selling, most popular uh, speculator market, of course, influencing that. But point being, Professor X really asserts more of a leadership role here in the 90s. He becomes more of the, again, sort of team leader role across the board, everyone reporting back to him back as the leader of the X-Men throughout the decade. For my purposes, though, uh, you know, as far as I am concerned, I would actually look to the events that that happened in the 90s that I really pay attention to. I think they're the most Xavier related and the most relevant for our purposes. The first is Age of Apocalypse. This is something that you will hear me talk about if you check out Comic Book Herald at any point in time as an all-time favorite. Um, oddly, it is it is purposefully devoid of Professor X content. Now, of course, the, the thing here is this event looks at the dysfunction of a world without Professor X. And I think actually in his absence, we get a really good sense of the value of Professor X. There's, of course, the 90s animated series, very famous episode called One Man's Worth that sort of sets the stage for an Age of Apocalypse style story. But looking at, you know, if a Professor X was assassinated, what would happen to mutants? What would happen to the world? And it really sort of puts into context the value that Charles Xavier and his dream has. Age of Apocalypse looks at that, um, you know, uses that as the premise. Do you have to read the entire event to get that idea? Of course not. Uh, the next event actually makes a lot more sense. But, you know, I should call out there. Of course not, you don't. But Age of Apocalypse is so fun. Highly recommend you read it. Onslaught, on the other hand, the next event that comes out of this, is way more Professor X focused. This looks at, it's some fallout from some 90s X-Men stuff. Uh, basically, it looks at, you know, after Professor X uh, deals with Magneto quite harshly, after Magneto deals with Wolverine quite harshly, no spoilers there, I don't think. That's from the Fatal Attraction story arc. Uh, it deals with Professor X and Magneto's sort of merging consciousness, and it's a it's an evil Professor X story. So basically looking at what if the world's most powerful telepath and, and 
you know, ostensibly most powerful mutant. What if he did turn bad? Now, of course, there are stories like this uh, frequently of Professor X turning evil in Uncanny X-Men, even during the Claremont era, but Onslaught takes it to the 90s extreme. And it's, it's, you know, it's too long. It's longer than it needs to be. I think big picture, the idea is kind of entertaining. And honestly, it looks at, you know, Professor X as a, he, it gets him out of the mentorship, out of the chair role, essentially, as just, you know, kind of the operator zero of the X-Men and as this big bad in the Marvel Universe. It also has huge Marvel Universe implications. You know, Onslaught touches every corner from Avengers to Fantastic Four and beyond. So for my purposes for the 90s, I would say check out Age of Apocalypse and Onslaught, even if you don't read them in their entirety. And again, hint, hint, comicbookcarl.com has the reading orders for all of that. Now, probably... Where a lot of modern fans will start, where I actually recommend modern fans start, is jumping ahead now to about 2001, and it's it's both one of the best moments in X-Men history, one of the best runs in X-Men history, and one of the best Charles Xavier runs in, in X-Men history. It does a lot for the character of Professor X. This is 2001's New X-Men, written by Grant Morrison, with art frequently by Frank Wiley. And, you know, not entirely. It runs from issues 114 to about 154, including an annual. Uh, I would say you could honestly, if you start with the first three issues, that'd be New X-Men 114 to 116. And that will give you a really good sense of of what happens in New X-Men. That sort of sets the stage for what Charles Xavier is going to be doing for the rest of the series. So it, it Grant, Mar- Grant Morrison takes a, a pretty keen eye to Professor X as leader of the X-Men, as leader of the mutant agenda, and he, he sort of plays with that in ways that develops, you know, challenges to the philosophy, right? He takes characters like Cassandra Nova in issues of 114 and 116 and looks at, you know, what if there was somebody there who is really close, you know, insanely close without spoiling anything, Jude Charles Xavier and really challenged his philosophies and really challenged what it means to be this sort of savior and sort of position yourself as this savior. And through the course of that, we get Professor X has to make some really bold decisions compared to where he's been in X-Men lore uh, it throughout, you know, 40 years of X-Men history to this point. And it's fascinating. Professor X essentially has to, um, whether he's aware he's doing it or not, come out to the world as a mutant, which is this thing that has been taken for granted much the same way that Iron Man, it, Tony Stark being Iron Man was taken for granted until Warren Ellis finally, you know, unveiled that to the world in the Extremis arc that he wrote in 2006-2007. Um, Professor X comes out and says, hey world, I am a mutant. And that's a big deal. So it, Morrison's arc really focuses on what if the world really became aware of how big and popular and sort of dominant mutants were becoming and, and had to deal with that. And Professor X plays obviously a really big role in that that segment so new x-men is an absolutely essential professor x read it's an absolutely essential read to understanding and and i think appreciating house of x and powers of x and it also sets the stage for the the rest of the 2000s to come from there we go to and and obviously like there's other stuff that happens in the early 2000s um you know new x-men is not the only thing you get professor x for example playing a role as sort of a 
a spy in um, the Mystica, written, written by Brian K. Vaughn, where Professor X is essentially contracting Mystique out to do sort of uh, missions on behalf of the mutants, or even like something like Exiles, which is a really fun series that isn't super Charles Xavier concentrated, except for the very first story arc that they, they participate in. This group of alternate reality mutants has to deal with a reality where Professor X is truly evil, which obviously if you've read you know, Onslaught or even some of the Claremont run, is not something entirely unfamiliar, and that's going to actually segue quite nicely into the dark past of Professor X, which is the next segment, the next era of Professor X. Now, one really popular vein of Marvel Comics storytelling throughout the mid-2000s is, you know, the revisionist history of Marvel, looking at, hey, what if we took things that happened throughout Marvel history and we sort of colored them with this darker modern lens? And that happens to Professor X in the pages of X-Men Deadly Genesis. It's a miniseries written by very, very popular and excellent writer Ed Brubaker. And it looks at, I mean, I honestly, this is the beginning of Charles Xavier's damnation. Um, applying a, a really popular trend of looking at what if we took everything he had done and held it up to a, a very modern and sort of uh, more critical lens. And there's no walking away from the revelations of Deadly Genesis. I mean, this this puts the entire 1975 uh, Giant X-Men into a new light. It really looks at, okay, what happened when he sent this team out to Krakoa and, you know, the X-Men were, you know, the 1975 story is what happened if these X-Men went to Krakoa and were, you know, basically captured, but he assembled a new team to save them. Deadly Genesis says, what if there was a team before that first team that didn't get out? so easy right that didn't have the reassembled team that saved them so easily and it really calls into contrast um you know basically professor x's decision making his ethics his morality um it also really brings up like the secret history that he has with the summers family throughout time in the marvel universe and i'll admit this this turn away from the kindly again professorial version of charles xavier is somewhat tough to swallow because it is it is casting him as closer to an anti-hero or closer to a character that you would not trust in the Marvel Universe than than I like to imagine him. But honestly, this plays out in a, a number of, frankly, a variety of other series like New Avengers Illuminati, in which, you know, in keeping with the dark secrets element or or, you know, Focus of Charles Xavier, you know, he takes it upon himself to meet in secret with Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Black Bolt, Namor, and Doctor Strange to decide the fate of Earth's biggest problems. You also get him in the pages of Astonishing X-Men, a series by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy, in which Charles Xavier, it's revealed that he was a, frankly, morally depraved decision to, uh, to hide this sentient artificial intelligence in the danger room. So there's a whole bunch of of decisions made from the pages, you know, from like 2004 to 2007 where we see that Charles Xavier is not this wholesome figure that we once thought he might be. And all of that leads to one of my favorite moments in in Professor X and Charles Xavier history, which is the legacy of Professor Xavier, which follows Everything I just described, it really kicks off with Messiah Complex, 
the event uh, 2007 to 2008 in which you know it, that event ends with the apparent death of Charles Xavier and I'm not spoiling anything there because it's really quite quickly um, undercut by the fact that the X-Men Legacy series that spins out of Messiah Complex a, a very good event that everyone should read who is an X-Men fan um, really picks up with and and focuses in on the the status of Professor Xavier as the leader of the X-Men and as this man with a big, bold dream and a complicated status as the actual leader of the X-Men. So Mike Carey's the writer throughout X-Men Legacy. I think he does a great job looking back at the history of Professor X, at what he's done, at the decisions he's made, at how has that progressed over time for mutants. Um, there's issues like X-Men Legacy number 219, which is one of my absolute favorite Professor X and the Juggernaut stories, in which they are basically sitting in a diner bar and hashing out you know, their history over time. And this entire series is a, one of, if not the foremost series that Professor X fans should read to sort of understand the motivations of the character, to sort of understand you know the decisions he's been making over time, and really get a sense of a, a modern lens on what was Professor X thinking when he did X, Y, and Z. And all of this really builds to this place where Professor X is a, he has a legacy, as, as the title suggests in the X-Men universe, but he is not the leader of X-Men stories from, you know, 2008 to 2012. He is a, a bit player. He is a supporting character in a story that is primarily focused on Cyclops as the leader of the X-Men, really trying to decide what is best for mutants as, in, as a race. Um, is really the way that, that that Marvel you know plays out the X Men line from that point in time, and all that builds to Avengers vs X Men, in which Cyclops and a variety of his closest cohorts, you know Emma Frost, Cy- uh, Colossus, uh, Ileana Rasputin, and Hanfalo and Namor, for example, all become you know they inherit the powers of the Phoenix in the Avengers vs X Men event that took place in 2012, and in that event. I won't spoil what happens, but Charles Xavier confronts Cyclops and says, you know, this was not the dream. This is not what we meant. And we get a really good showdown between the protege, Cyclops, Scott Summers, this this individual who has trusted Professor X as the mentor of all that is well and good in in all things mutants throughout his entire life. And, and of course, Professor X, this man who has been telling him, this is the way things should be in Avengers vs. X-Men. You know, again, no spoilers uh, on my behalf. Um, it's, you know, it's a big moment (laughs) that you should know about between Cyclops and Professor X. So that leads us to the, really the final segment before House of X and the return of Professor Charles Xavier, and that is sort of alternate realities and returns for Charles Xavier. So from 2012 to 2018, there's this sequence of, there's some interesting alternate reality versions of Xavier in the pages of a series called Extreme X-Men. This is written by Greg Pak, and it's a series that looks at some time-traveling sort of alternate reality dealing with X-Men and, and Marvel Universe characters who are like almost entirely fighting evil versions of alternate reality Professor X's, which is, it, it's kind of fun. It's not a perfect series, but it's fun. And that builds to a series called Astonishing X-Men, written by uh, writer Charles Soleil, who writes uh, a series called Life of X and A Man Called X. And this is the most recent 
free House of X series we get that looks at what's the deal with Charles Xavier, what's the deal with Professor X, prior to Jonathan Hickman taking over the X-Men writing lens. And the, the long and short of it, without going into this series in detail, is we get the ret- a return of a Charles Xavier type character who takes the sort of physical form of the mutant Phantom X in these pages um, in, in the course of a battle with Shadow King, of course, his longtime psychological and you know telepathically empowered uh, villain who also plays a key role in the FX series Legion as the main antagonist against David Haller. So that series really looks at like Professor X. It's a Professor X versus Shadow King story that deals with the return of Professor X through um, another mutant who is who is originated in the pages of New X-Men written by Grant Morrison. And that sets the stage for House of X. Now, it does not connect. Again, I'm recording this with only one issue of House of X out, one issue of Power of X powers of x out the continuity from like everything i just described to this new house of x powers of x status quo is unclear i don't know nobody knows at this point in time except for jonathan hickman and maybe his collaborators uh how directly those previous stories are going to tie into this new event status quo that said that's the history that gets us to this point when we enter House of X and Powers of X. We have this situation where Professor X is building a new world for mutants. He basically has all of the rest of the world, you know, humanity sort of on its toes looking at what is what is mutant kind offering to them in terms of the drugs of Grokoa that are going to benefit humanity. And, and I'm not even going to say any more than that because this isn't a House of X, Powers of X explanation. Everyone. Everyone who is an X-Men fan should be reading those comics. It is absolutely essential. But hopefully, in the course of this, I've given you a good overview of what Professor X has been through throughout his life, throughout Marvel Universe history. If I haven't, what I would recommend is you go to the show notes. You click that link to comicbookherald.com where you see the Professor X reading order. And you check out all the comic books that got us to this place in time and understand it for yourself. So thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Dave Beesing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. You can find reading orders for a whole variety of characters, including Professor X, on CBH, and I hope that you do so. If you like the show, please like and subscribe uh, wherever it is available. And again, I'm pretty much available socially on at comicbookherald, anywhere you can find me. Thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, go to comicbookherald.com, check out the content, and enjoy the comics.